0: With the coming of synchronised sound, cinema audiences were enthralled to finally hear the voices of their favourite stars. But other noises caught their attention as well. Until then, precious few members of the public had any direct experience of what automatic gunfire sounded like. And so, when in the early 1930s, Hollywood released a trio of gangster films, The Public Enemy, Little Caesar and Scarface, the rat-a-tat-tat of the Thompson submachine gun, shocked, thrilled and appalled audiences in equal measures. But what about the characters? In Gamora, Matteo Garoni's scorching 2008 adaptation of Roberto Saviano's book of the same name, aspiring gangsters Marco and Ciro, played by Marco Macor and Ciro Petrone, discover an arsenal of weapons. They take the guns down to the river, and shooting off live rounds, marvel at the deafening racket. Here is Garoni in 2008, speaking at the press conference after his masterwork received its American premiere at the New York Film Festival. Well, when I, when I, I read the, the book of, uh, of Saviano, I thought there was the possibility to rewrite the imaginary of uh, criminals in, uh, in, in cinema, about mafia movie. I thought it was a great opportunity. Gorone achieved exactly what he set out to do, smack back the innumerable movies that have marketed the mythology of the mafia. Violent men whose methods are excused as metaphors for rugged and capitalist ambition. More than anything, Gamora strips away the legend to lay bare the facts that organised crime is a toxin that threatens to poison the world. And yet, in order to distance his film from other gangster pictures, Gorone returned four times to the genre's three earliest masterworks, The Public Enemy, Little Caesar, and Scarface. In a moment, we look at the way Germora echoes how The Public Enemy contextualised Tom Powers' drift into a life of crime. Likewise, Scarface, where Antonio Camonte tries to assimilate into his adopted country. But for the first of the four examples, let us focus on Little Caesar. A seminal moment occurs when Cesar Rico Bandello is given a public dressing down by his boss, Big Boy Montana. You take it easy with that cannon of yours. Did you hear me? Yes, Mr. Montana. Rico, portrayed by Edward G. Robinson, is hot-headed and even more ambitious. So while he is being berated by Sidney Blackmore's Big Boy Montana, director Mervyn LeRoy offers two crucial close-ups. Rico looks at Big Boy, but not at his face. Instead, he fixates on the jewel that Big Boy wears as his tie pin and then the diamond ring Big Boy wears on his little finger. Before long, Rico has acquired similar accessories. Such ostentation has since become a hallmark of many a movie gangster. Think of how Warren Beatty's Benjamin Ziegle obsessed over his shirts and ties in Barry Levinson's Bugsy, the enormous wardrobe Robert De Niro's eighth Rostein wore in Martin Scorsese's Casino, and the tinchilla coat and matching hat donned by Denzel Washington's Frank Lucas in Ridley Scott's American Gangster. That showy combo, gifted to Lucas by his wife, catches the police's attention and thus leads to his downfall. But really, the movie gangster's obsession with fashion can be traced back to even before Little Caesar, almost 20 years earlier in fact, to 1912, to what is held as the very first gangster picture, D.W. Griffith's The Musketeers of Pig Alley. Griffith's protagonist, the snapper Kid, played by Elmer Booth, boasted a striking ensemble, and legend has it that after having seen the film as an adolescent, Al Capone began modelling his wardrobe on the Snapper Kid. Making fact of the Capone legend, when Brian De Palma went to make The Untouchables in 1986, he engaged Giorgio Armani to design the costumes. I grew up in a tough neighbourhood. And we used to say you can get further with a kind word and a gun than you can with just a kind word. (laughs) And in that neighbourhood it might have been true. And sometimes a reputation follows you. There is violence in Chicago, of course, but not by me and not by anybody I employ, and I'll tell you why, because it's not good business. Something similar but very different happens in Gomorra, and this is the second example of Garoni distancing his film from the genre's origins. Toto, played by Salvatore Abruzzese, is a delivery boy living in a block of flats controlled by the Casalesi clan. Here, Gomorra echoes the early plot of The Public Enemy, which shows how young Tom Powers, played by James Cagney, gets into crime to move up and out of the neighbourhood. For Toto, there is no hint such an escape route exists. However, something else happens to Toto that not only links Gamora back to Little Caesar, but also provides a third example of distancing. As Toto graduates from delivering groceries to delivering drugs, he is given access to a warehouse full of clothes. Delighted with the spoils, he doesn't choose, say, a silk suit as Henry Hill did in Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, no, Toto chooses a cheap sports jersey. Why? Because he was already given a far more prestigious item when he underwent the initiation test to enter the Casalesi syndicate. Toto was given a bulletproof vest. <laughs> Shot at point-blank range, Toto is momentarily knocked unconscious. He recovers, goes home, and in the bathroom, looks at himself in the mirror. He inspects the bruise on his chest with such pride that he clearly regards it as less a welt than a badge of honour, a crest declaring his membership in an exclusive club. Only in this club, the bosses are not interested in displaying their status the way Hollywood's gangsters do. Pasquale, played by Salvatore Cantalupo, is a master tailor, who, under the thumb of the Casalesi syndicate, crafts expensive clothes at extremely low cost for some of Italy's major fashion houses, and this is where Garoni links his picture back to Scarface. In Howard Hawks's 1932 picture, Antonio Camonte is slowly Americanized. We first hear him speaking with a heavy Italian accent, but over the course of the story, he drops it in an effort to assimilate into American life. In Gamora, Pasquale is approached by Shan a Chinese immigrant who has opened up a rival factory to produce the same expensive clothes at an even lower cost. In order to trade in that market, Chan, played by Zhang Ruanghua, speaks Italian without a trace of a Chinese accent. He offers Pasquale €20,000 if he will teach Chan's workers how to cut and stitch the materials needed to imitate the latest couture. Pasquale agrees, and we later see one of the very same gowns worn by Scarlett Johansson at the Venice Film Festival, promoting Brian De Palma's adaptation of James Ellroy's The Black Dahlia. At least he looks good with his shirt off. Where's your sketch pad? I was never any good. Ended up with a master's in history. Education's an expensive habit. Lee paid for it. I should have quit fighting. I asked him to. Besides, police work gives him a sense of order. you have a girlfriend, boy? I'm saving myself for Rita Hayworth. The fourth example of how Gamora smacks down the gangster mythology brings us back to the two young naive gangsters, Marco and Chiro. They believe that they will be able to strike out against the Camorra and go their own way. Even before they find the magazine of guns, Godone has them quoting from Scarface. Only there is little possibility that they are quoting from the 1932 original written by Ben Hecht and starring Paul Muni in the title role. In all likelihood, they are instead quoting from Brian De Palma's unofficial remake from 1983, written by Oliver Stone, where Al Pacino played Tony Montana. Don't fucking go crazy on me, okay? Just remember last year at this time we were in a fucking cage, okay? You remember? I have to forget that. I say be happy with what you got. You'll be happy. Me, I want what's coming to me. or what's coming to you? For? world she everything in it. But here is the interesting thing. Despite Gannoni's intention to rewrite cinema's representation of the mafia, the template from which he drew inspiration was not the gangster classics of the public enemy Little Caesar or Scarface. And despite his reverence for them, neither was it Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America, or even Goodfellas. As Saviano's exhaustively researched book reveals, the Camorra's tentacles are so widespread that Gorone had over 100 different storylines from which to choose. And in selecting five, Gorone drew inspiration from an unexpected source. Here is the director again, this time in 2012, speaking with David Poland. No, well, my my point of reference for Gomorra was not a mafia movie, honestly, Mm -hmm. but it was a war movie from uh, Rossellini was uh, Paisan. Released in 1946, Paisan is the second part of Roberto Rossellini's groundbreaking war trilogy, which began a year earlier with Rome Open City and will conclude the following year with Germany Year Zero. A seminal film in the Neorealist movement, even on its own, Paysan, is unique in several ways, not least because of its structure. Set in the brutal aftermath of Mussolini's execution by Italian partisans in 1943, Rossellini traces the path of the Allies as they strove to root out what remained of the dictator's support. Quanti tedeschi sono partiti? Lungo, l'americano è di gela. <inaudible> Come si chiama? Non i mascali? Non è di gela? Sì, mio padre è veramente di gela. Poi veni in America. Non c'è non stato mascali a gela. Io non è di gela. Veni non è capo contro un sacco di storie, you che ci crediti. Fin io la libertà. this, sir. He just says, quando sono andati via i tedeschi? I'm just leaving a tutti i banni. Germans left this morning, and the place is lousy with mines. Amazing, it took you this long to find that out. Sergeant, I'm sorry, but you just don't speak Italian in a hurry. Take <laughs> a time to talk to these people. Take it easy, kid. You know what you're doing. Just take your time. However, it would be inaccurate to call Garoni's film neorealist. Garoni himself disputed that categorization. Born in reaction to more than 20 years of fascist rule in Italy, neorealism had a clear moral message. As a cinema of protest, it sought to highlight social injustice, and champion the very peoples marginalized and brutalized by Mussolini's black shirts. But as can be seen in Rome Open City, Vittorio De Sica's Bicycle Thieves and Luchino Visconti's La Terra Trema, they were each designed to suggest a possible solution to society's ills. Garone does not burden himself with such a task. Instead, his aim is to simply present the Camorra in all their wretchedness. Here he is again, this time an interview with the YouTube channel MovieWeb. The, the book of of Saviano. It's a, it's a very powerful and important book because it shows how the system is conditioned all the territory of uh, Naples and around Naples and also how he has business with all the world. So it's not just a problem of Naples, of Camorra and Naples, but it's a, pro- a global problem. Paisan is made up of six separate episodes, Connected, not by way of characters, but by one single subject. The campaign to liberate Italy from fascist forces. Each episode is a self-contained plot, and Garone took that idea to make sure that the narrative strands he drew from Saviana's book never intersected. Because of that, Godone achieves what precious few, if any other gangster pictures, even attempt. From the public enemy, through to Abraham Polanski's Force of Evil, Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde, and Michael Mann's Heat, films about organized crime focus on the criminal, not the organization. You know, we're sitting here, you and I like a couple of regular fellas. You do what you do, I do what I gotta do. And now that we've been face to face, if I'm there and I gotta put you away, I won't like it. But I'll tell you, If it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're going to turn into a widow, brother, you are going down. So, God only concentrates on the organisation, but then he goes one step further. By steadfastly refusing to intersect any of the plot lines, the structure reveals his theme. The Commodore's organisation goes everywhere. All of society's illegal activities are now interlinked nations are bound together not only by trade agreements but also enmeshed by international crime and in that way Garoni positions his film within another category one that flourished in the decades on either side of the turn of the millennium hyperlink cinema there the storylines appear unconnected but either eventually intersect by way of collision or theme think of Krzysztof Kieślowski's Three Colors Steven Soderbergh's Traffic Fernanda Morales's City of God or Stephen Gagan's Siriana. Corruption? Corruption is government intrusion into market efficiencies in the form of regulation. That's Milton Friedman. He got a goddamn Nobel Prize. We have laws against it precisely so we can get away with it. Corruption is our protection. Corruption keeps us safe and warm. Corruption is why you and I are prancing around in here instead of fighting over scraps of meat out in the street. Corruption is why we win. And yet, for all the global connections the Camorras so evidently have, they are not connected at all. They are disconnected from the chaos, brutality, and finally, toxic effect they have. And not just on society, I'm talking on the environment. In possibly the most obscene sequence in the film, Franco, played by Tony Servillo, oversees the illegal order to drive hundreds of barrels of chemical waste down into immense pits where they will be covered in by landfill. Indifferent to the environmental catastrophe and focusing only on the financial profits, Franco says the earth will absorb the rest. To watch the sequence is to witness a 21st century version of Dante's Circles of Hell. And that is the true reflection of their criminality. The Camorra contribute nothing to our world. They destroy it because they feel no connection to it. The only thing they give to the earth is death. And Garone leaves that declaration to the final scene where young Marco and Ciro are gunned down, scooped up by a bulldozer, and carried off like waste to another pit. The winner of five European Film Awards, including Best Picture, as well as a Grand Prix at the Cannes Film Festival, Gamora is relentlessly bleak, but in no way should that deter anyone from watching it.